We're continuing our study of the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. That starts on page 953, if you're using the Bibles there in your seats. Paul is writing to the Corinthians as a church struggling with division because they're struggling with pride and arrogance, competition, because instead of reflecting the gospel of Christ crucified, they are reflecting the values of the culture around them. So Paul continues to bring the gospel to bear in their lives so that he can see them grow in unity, come together, and rely on Christ. Would that be our hope for ourselves this morning, that coming to God's word, we would rely more on Christ? Lord, would you bless the reading of your word to the good of your people? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has, understand, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that the reading of your word would be to our good, and we continue that prayer now, that you would reveal yourself, that you would give us understanding, that you would work in and among us and through us, not just for our good, but for the blessing, the calling, the sanctification of our neighbors who are in need of this truth that we come to this morning. Would your word have its way with us? Would you use me as you see fit? In the name of Christ, amen. Most of us, at least at some point in our life, get excited by the prospect of receiving mail, uh, to get a card, a letter from a friend. And it's exciting, especially that around Christmas when people send out Christmas cards and we get to see pictures of people we haven't seen or read updates. But often, the longer we're around, the less excited we get or the more disappointed because more and more of our mail is either advertisements or bills. Recently, I have come to recognize another form of disappointment, 
when I receive mail, especially when I receive mail from that institution we prayed for this morning, Covenant Theological Seminary. Because I keep expecting it to change, but it doesn't. Because every time I get a letter or an advertisement or a solicitation for uh, gifts to the seminary, it always says, Reverend Ian Hard, not Reverend Dr. Ian Hard. Even though they are the institution from which I received my doctorate. I say that as a confession. I already have the degree. I've already done the work. But there is a part of me that wants them to recognize it, to stamp it. Even though that's not why I set out to do the doctorate. I was asked to do it by a pastoral friend and professor. I thought it would be good for me to think about how to better minister here in New Hampshire with its particular blessings and challenges. And yet, knowing that those two letters don't change my standing before God. They don't make me any more informed than whether or not someone acknowledges it. I want it. We know that those who often project one thing are actually lacking in it. We know that often those who come across as strong, those who bully others, often do so because they are secretly afraid. We know of those who pay so much attention to what they are wearing or to their makeup, models who question whether they are beautiful. Celebrities afraid of being forgotten. Religious leaders worried that they are not good enough those who are proud and boastful, who are actually insecure. This is what we see in the church in Corinth. They're a church that has heard the gospel, made up of people that have trusted in Jesus, Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. Yet, as they are quarreling, as they are divided, it indicates that they are looking elsewhere for their sense of worth. That while they, want to, while they want to be seen as mature, while they want to be seen as having wisdom, they are secretly questioning, do we know what's true? Are we enough? They seek affirmation that they've made the right choice. They want to be seen as wise. They want to be seen as mature, as respectable. And so they are looking to what the culture values and seeking to conform to those standards. They want to be mature, spiritual people by speaking and sharing wisdom according to the Greek and Roman styles. They want their spiritual giftedness. They want their spiritual experience to earn them respect from each other, just as works of public benevolence got one's name plastered around the city of Corinth. They want respect. They want recognition. They want to put themselves forward because... They're struggling. Seminary can't fix what's lacking in me. If everyone I met started calling me doctor, would that fix the insecurity, the want and desire to be recognized in me? No. And don't hear that as a request. Please don't. 
but it reflects the reality for so many of us. The reality of the Corinthians, the reality of the pastor that stands before you, the people in the seats and the people that you will meet. That we're so often tempted to look around to others for our affirmation, to others for kind words, for recognition, for applause, for the financial contributions of others, for other people to envy us or desire us, for us to know that we're worthwhile. Paul knows that the culture of Corinth could not offer that to the Corinthians. He knows that they're seeking to be like them, to be proud and boastful like them, speaks of an insecurity. And and this is the kindness and goodness of a gospel-saturated servant of Christ that Paul does not come out swinging and saying, oh, you guys want to be proud? You guys want to be boastful? You guys want to compete with one another? You are sleeping with prostitutes. There are poor people among you who aren't sharing in the Lord's Supper. You're so conceited about your ability to speak in tongues that no one in the worship service who doesn't speak that language understands what's going on. No, before Paul confronts all of those reasons that should tear apart their spiritual pride, their grounds for boasting, he instead offers them good news. The bad news is implicit in the passage, but Paul couches it in good news. He has good news for the prideful, good news for the arrogant, good news for the success hungry. That in Jesus, yes, in the crucified Jesus, you have something the world can't give you. You have something that is freely given to you. And in fact, something that you don't need from the world, but something that you can offer to the world. He shares this good news for the proud, for the hungry, that you have something that the world can't give you. We see this as he picks up in verse 6. He says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Remember, he's been tearing down the fact that the, the Greeks and the Jews have a certain expectation of what wisdom and maturity looks like. The Jews seek signs. The Greeks seek rhetoric and stylistic wisdom. But he says, well, for the mature, though, we do impart wisdom. And and for the Corinthians, they perk up. Part of their concern as we read through the letter is that they're like, Paul, why do you keep feeding us this Jesus crucified? Can we get to the real stuff? Can we get to the good stuff? Come on, we're mature. We can handle it. So he knows what they want. So he says, to the mature, I do impart wisdom. Okay, yes, we want wisdom. Paul's not against wisdom per se, But as he goes on, he points out that the wisdom that he shares with the mature is not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age, but it's secret wisdom. It's hidden wisdom from God. Oh, this is the good stuff. The good stuff behind the counter. The top shelf stuff, they're getting excited. But it is the secret wisdom from God. And verse verse 8 points to what he's already been talking about. In verse 24 of chapter 1, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What we're proclaiming, this wisdom that I'm proclaiming to the mature is Christ crucified. What is it that we have? What is this 
wisdom that Paul is giving to the mature, to the spiritual. What is it that we have? He goes on to say, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. What is it we have? We have glory. We have worth. We have gravitas. We have dignity, value. We have splendor. While the crucifixion of Jesus is about humiliation, while it's about pain and sorrow and loss, while it is ugly, dehumanizing, and in fact scandalous as he's already covered through the sacrificial death of Jesus to atone for our sins, we have glory. The secret hidden wisdom of God is what Paul has been proclaiming to the Corinthians from the beginning, that in Christ crucified, God has revealed his plan for our salvation. It is the displayed wisdom of God, which though it was hidden, though it wasn't expected, though no eye had seen it, no ear had heard it, nor any heart of man imagined that God's plan to fix the world would be the sending of his son and the crushing of him upon the cross. Yet God has prepared this from the very beginning for those who love him. You long for the mysterious. You long for wisdom. You want to be those who receive special enlightenment to be considered worthwhile. God has let you in on the biggest secret. His plan for salvation, the means of undoing the effects of sin, the plan of God to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. In Christ, you have the wisdom of God revealed unto your glory. Not the glory of those who are in charge. Not the glory of this world which is fading away just like the rulers of the day will one day pass. You have the forever plan of God revealed in Jesus for your glory. You have something the world can't give you. You have the imparted glory of God. And he then stresses the fact that the world didn't and in fact couldn't give it to you. Now, Paul says, well, first of all, what is the evidence that the world can't give it to you? Well, he points to how did the world respond to the wisdom of God revealed? It's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And and the rulers of this age is is not the spiritual rulers and forces that you read about in in Ephesians 6, for example. It's a a slightly different Greek word. He, He is reflecting back on the powerful, important, looked-up-to people of the day, the Jewish sages, the scribes that he talked about earlier, the Greek and Roman philosophers. And, And if you think of it, these were the very people that put Jesus to death. It was the religious leaders, the well learned, the ones who thought they had a grasp on what the mind of God was and what God wanted, that looked at what Jesus was saying and doing and said he needs to be put to death. And it was the Romans in power, the educated, the elite, who were well-trained according to the philosophical training of their day, who had the money and the power of Rome behind them. It was these men who looked at Jesus and said, Aha, here is wisdom personified. Here is the path to glory. Here is the means to fulfillment. No, they put him to death. 
None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In Jesus crucified, you have the wisdom of God unto your glory, which the world couldn't give you, as we've seen evidence of. But also because, why? Why couldn't they give it to you? Because they lack the spirit. Apart from the spirit of God, we can't understand the mind of God. We can't discern the wisdom of God without God. He, he helps explain this with an analogy in verse 10 and 11. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He's not trying to make a point about how humans are constituted, what is our spirit and what is our body, or, or explain how it is that God is Father, Son, and Spirit in triunity. But, but he's making an analogy. You just think back to any time you've gone on a date with someone or you've met a new person or you're trying to figure out a new boss. You don't know what's in that person's head. We might try, but in the end, who knows what's inside your mind and heart except for you? And so if I, a human being, can't look at another human being and say, aha, I know what's inside them, how is it that we would assume that we know what's in the heart and mind of God unless the Spirit reveals it to us? You have the Spirit who has enabled you to trust in Jesus as the Lord of glory because you have seen what can only be seen by the Spirit. Now, is the point of Paul here to say, the world is dumb. The world is stupid. You Corinthians, you're smart. No. He's just speaking to the reality that we, who do not have the Spirit, are unable to know God. He explains it in verse 14, the natural person, that is the person whom the Spirit has not come into, the natural person does not accept the things of God. It is only natural in our sinful state to not accept God. Why? For they are folly to him. The things of God are foolishness. Just like those who studied for years and years could not understand the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, they were just pictures. Maybe they meant something, they understood there was communication, but they had no idea until they were given the stone, the Rosetta Stone to translate. It's foolishness to us. And because it looks like foolishness that the Lord of glory would be crucified on a cross without the Spirit, then we reject it. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The point is not that we're better than the world, but God has given us his spirit, which is the only means by which we might receive this wisdom that Jesus died for our sins. Professors of literature exist who don't understand how a car works. It doesn't make them dumb. Beautiful woodworkers who can make the most gorgeous furniture who can't read computer code. It's a knowledge that hasn't been given to them. And so Paul is saying, who are you looking to? Can they give you what you seek? The people that we look to, whether it is whether sports stars, whether musicians, whether celebrities, whether big church leaders, can they give us what we are seeking? There's so much that is beautiful. There's so much that's good, true, and glorious in this world and the people in it only as a reflection of the glorious God that made all things 
And all those things are touched and polluted and diminished and shot through by sin and its effects. So the world and the prevailing culture, whether the prevailing culture of 2023, of 1950, of 1776, of 1517, or of 35 AD, no prevailing culture, no entertainment industry, no system of power, no commercial success, no education, nor the people around us can give us the glory that we seek. Good news. If you are in Christ, you already have it because you have the spirit that has shown it to you. If we are trusting in a crucified savior, the Lord of glory, who although the most powerful, wealthy, rich of the world ignored and demeaned and put to death, then we already have something that the world cannot give. And while we are waiting for the full realization experience of the glory that is given to us in Christ, it is already ours. And it has been freely given to us. Paul points out the good news for them is that you already have something that the world cannot offer you, and what you have has been freely given to you. His second point. Paul keeps lovingly hammering at the prideful ambition and the competition of the Corinthians as he makes clear that the great wisdom of God, this mystery revealed, this glory is not attained. It's not earned. It's not bought. It can't be built up. It comes only by the Spirit of God freely given. Verse 12, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. First of all, the verb there, we have bought, we have earned, we have gained, we have received. And where is that spirit from? Is the spirit from the world around us that we can dig up, that we can study, that we can understand? No, the spirit comes from God himself. And why does the Spirit come that we might understand the things freely given us by God? The Spirit is given to us, who in turn reveals what God has freely given us, namely that he has given us Christ. And in Christ, as verse 30, which we looked at last week, says, we have righteousness, we have sanctification, we have redemption. We have the power and wisdom of God in Christ given us by the Spirit. Our salvation, the conveyed dignity, the glory given, and the ability to understand it, to receive it, comes as a gift from God, given through the Spirit who is given to us. One of the things that this passage highlights, even if it's not the main intention of Paul, is the gracious giving character of God. That God is self-giving, God who gives the Son, sends the Son. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. The Son who freely, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus who comes willingly, freely, setting aside all that he had in heaven for our good. Father and Son who send the Spirit, who gives us the knowledge of God, what he has done, and the faith to receive it. God is gives himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, for he is a giving God. Our access to the secret wisdom of God, our access to salvation and hope offered in the cross of Christ is given to us. 
Paul is saying the difference between you Corinthians and the rulers of this age, those who reject it, is not your intellect. It's not your insight. It's not your work. It's what the Spirit has given you. Our assurance of faith this morning came from Titus 3, 4 through 7. It affirms this truth. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were good, but according to his works, by, according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that is, the Spirit making us new, giving us life where there was death, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us scantily, just barely, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. At the same time that Paul is diminishing the grounds for their competition, and he'll confront it more overtly later in the letter, but Paul is seeking to undermine any attempt to stratify themselves. As he's pointing out their desire to point to their spiritual experiences or their manifestation of spiritual gifts, to determine who is really spiritual, really mature among them. In this passage, he says, what I give to the mature is the same thing I give to all of you. The Spirit revealed gospel that Jesus was crucified for your sins. Right now, he just makes it clear that the distinction isn't about giftedness. It's not about insight, wisdom, or power. But between the natural man who has not the Spirit and the spiritual man who has received the Spirit. But over and over again, he keeps using this inclusive language. Yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us according to the Spirit. In verse 12, he says, but we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. What Paul, the apostle, the one sent with the authority of Jesus Christ himself is saying, me, you, all of you Corinthians, we all have the same spirit. We all have the same basis because it's freely given. It's not a hierarchy, but it's a shared status because they share the same gift from the same giver. Later in the letter in verse, in chapter 12, three through six, he makes this more clear. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The Spirit gives because God gives. Your ability to understand salvation and receive it is because God has given you his Spirit to regenerate and renew you. The implication of what he is saying is this, that immaturity is seeking to move beyond the gospel of the cross of Christ. That spiritual maturity is spirit-enabled reception and dependence upon Christ crucified. That's it. You do not earn your spiritual status. You do not attain to the knowledge of God. What makes you think that you can move beyond that news that the spirit revealed? What makes you think that you can build yourself up apart from the gospel of Christ? We don't start with the gospel and then move on. We don't get saved and then say, well, now we're going to get business savvy. Now we're going to get healthy and fit. Now we're going to get influenced. These are not the next steps 
in our spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity is coming back over and over and over again to what the Spirit has revealed in Christ. Whether powerful or poor, whether influential or unknown, we have been given the Spirit who shows us the mind of Christ, the revealed plan of salvation, our glory, and we will never move past that. We don't need to move on. We just need to dig into what has already been given to us. And when we see what the Spirit has revealed to us, instead of fearing the world's judgment, we will consider instead what we have to offer the world. No one likes to be thought stupid. No one likes to be called judgmental or naive or old-fashioned or bigoted or foolish or powerless. The Corinthian church didn't like those things any more than we do today. Just as Paul wants to remove their seeking of affirmation from the world, he wants to relieve them of their fear of the judgment and condemnation of the world. Those around them who would say, you're following a Jesus, a man who is crucified. You're suffering. You're giving up your financial wealth. You're caring for the sick and the needy. You're saying no to your sexual desires. That's dumb. Paul graciously wants to remove and relieve them of their fear of judgment. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now the word there, judgment, is not the word that is used when we think of condemnation or determining someone's ultimate status. It's a word that is often translated in other places as to examine or to discern or to evaluate. He's saying the spiritual person is able to examine and discern all things spiritually oriented, but is himself not able to be examined or discerned by others. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? That is, who, without the help of the Spirit, can understand God's mind, understand God's intentions, and then tell God, God, your plan is pretty dumb. That's not very loving, God. It would have been much better, God, if you had done this instead. Look at the wisdom of our philosophers. Look at the success of our business people. Look at the size of our empire. How can the world assess you, your thoughts, your values, your commitments, if they don't have the spirit? How can they understand the mind of God? But we, according to the spirit, have the mind of Christ and so are able to examine all things according to that standard. We understand that what Christ did according to the spirit is show his love for us is fulfill justice for us, is to open the way to eternal life for us. Is Paul saying we shouldn't listen to anything the world says when the world calls us judgmental or says we're unloving or inconsistent? No. But the validity of their critiques, their questions, their challenges are not according to their standards, but according to the standards of Christ. They say you're not being loving. If you're being judgmental, what good are you? We don't say, who cares what you think? You're not a Christian. Nor do we say, of course you're right. But we take that and then we go to God and say, 
God, you have revealed to us the mind of Christ according to your spirit, as the spirit has breathed out your word, as the spirit enables us to come before God and communicate with him in prayer, as the spirit is among God's people to then say, do these critiques match up? Do we have the answers to these questions? And then we can answer the world according not to the standards of the world, the values of the world, not even what we want, but what God has revealed in Christ. We have the ability to look at the world through the eyes of love, sacrifice, and the dignity that Jesus offers. We don't have to fear the judgment of the world, but instead we have something to offer them. And we can offer that because we have received it. Look at verse 13. Paul says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. On one hand, Paul is saying and explaining why he doesn't use lofty speech and rhetoric of the day, because he knows it's the Spirit that imparts truth. And so he needs to work to help people understand what the Spirit has said to those who have the capacity to say it and understand it by the Spirit's help. But as he's saying that, he is saying that to Corinthians. He is saying that to a mix of Jews and Gentiles who want signs, who want wisdom. He is saying this to a group of people who lived their life according to the values of that day, who wanted their names highlighted in the city streets, who wanted to be thought of as wise and discerning and rich and powerful and among the elite. And yet they are those who have heard this gospel, who have received the spirit and benefited from it. Paul is talking to those who were natural people, but by the work of the Spirit were made spiritual people, able to discern because the Spirit is alive and active and gave them the mind of Christ. If God could do that through Paul's humble preaching for those who became the Corinthian church, then they could bear that same message in the same manner with the confidence that the Spirit would work in their neighbors and their colleagues and their friends and families in the same way that the Spirit was able to work in them. We don't only have the mind of Christ to offer, but the power of the Spirit to change the world, the power of the Spirit to reveal the wisdom of God, the Lord of glory, the hope of salvation, the worth and dignity our neighbors seek. We might say, I'm not very gifted. I'm not eloquent. I don't know enough scripture. I'm not important. I'm not wealthy. I have nothing to commend myself or the message of Jesus to the world. But if you have trusted in a Jewish carpenter as the son of God, the Lord of glory who was crucified for your sins, then you have the spirit in you. And by that same spirit of God, he is able to work in and through you to reveal himself, to offer hope, to save others who in and of themselves are natural, but by the spirit can become spiritual and supernatural. And so we dig into scripture God's revealed plan by the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We worship among God's people, not seeking new things, but to better see what is already ours so that we can offer it to the world. Most of my letters, most of my emails don't say Dr. Ian Hart. But at least a couple times a week, 
my 13-year-old daughter, my 13, 15-year-old daughter, sorry, refers to me as Dr. Father. And quite often, it's Dr. Father. And when Ashley does that, is she saying, I've graded all your papers and you're smart enough to be a doctor. You finally earned the respect of that title. Now she calls me Dr. Father because as my daughter, she has the privilege and the right of giving me a hard time. And in so doing, revealing what I could never earn by any amount of study, the love that she has already given me. Brothers and sisters, we are often tempted to seek in the world to attain for ourselves what the world cannot offer us. But we already have something far greater in Jesus. Glory accomplished for us as he saves us from hell and offers us instead eternal life. His spirit at work in us so that we can believe this incomprehensible wisdom planned from before all times and something that we can offer the world. Because if it worked for sinners like us, then the same spirit can work for them. That's good news for proud, angry, sad, fearful people. It's good news for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope it offers, the truth it offers, the confrontation of our sin and our pride and our arrogance and our seeking for fulfillment where it cannot be found. Thank you that Paul points us to, that you point us to by your spirit, what is already ours by your spirit in Christ. Would we live in that truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.